Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Welcome to The Rest is History. It is the 3rd of January. Um, it is the latest in our series on the 12 days of Christmas, or 13 days, which is what we're doing. And um, we're doing anniversaries every day. Tom chooses one, I choose one. And Tom, you're going to go first today, aren't you, with a, a man who I think is very close to your heart. Yes, well, uh, featured in, in one of the very earliest um, episodes that we did on um, the idea of social media uh, echoing the way that... Um, uh, printing and the new media had been used in the Reformation. And of course, the absolute master of that was Martin Luther, the man yeah. who is often seen as the father of the, Re- of the, of the Reformation. Um, and yesterday, Dominic, we had um, the uh, the fateful year that saw the, the conquest of Granada, uh, Columbus, the expulsion of the Jews from Spain, one of the kind of key dates, as you said, for you know, this is the end point of the Middle Ages. Yeah. But another obvious um, date would be um, the early 1520s when Martin Luther really gets the Reformation going and possibly the key moment in that, the moment that marks the kind of the point where the schism is formalised is when Luther gets excommunicated, officially excommunicated, cast out from the Catholic Church by the Pope and that happened on the 3rd of January 1521. So Tom, set the scene for us. So I think it's 1517, isn't it, that uh, Martin Luther famously nails, or in fact, probably doesn't nail, his 95 theses to the door of that church in, in Wittenberg. And that's the moment that's com- that's commonly seen as sort of kickstarting the Protestant Reformation. So this is four years after that. And what's yes. been happening in that kind of, I mean, what's the backstory to all this? Well, so, so essentially, Luther has all kinds of issues um, that are theological and doctrinal. Uh, and they increasingly strike at the very heart of the the great kind of edifice of doctrine that the Catholic Church and specifically the papacy kind of exists to uphold. And the question is, uh, that has always confronted the, the, the Catholic Church throughout the Middle Ages, whenever confronted by, you know, heretical movements, is what do you do with them? Do you try and kind of integrate them? into the fabric of of the church or do you kind of expel them and try and extirpate them and there are kind of various strategies that are adopted in in the years that immediately follow luther's kind of you know pronouncement his his um his his nailing of the of the theses um so there's uh there's there's a cardinal uh cardinal catahan who comes and, and attempts to negotiate with Luther directly, but um, Luther isn't really having any of it. And when Luther turns his back on Catahan, goes back to um, Wittenberg, which is under the rule of the elector Friedrich of Saxony, who is very, very proud of, of Luther. You know, Luther's made himself the most famous person in Europe. Um, yeah. Wittenberg has become this kind of great center of, um, of uh, you know, it's the focus of attention across Christendom. Um, so in a sense, Luther is kind of safe there, uh, out of beyond the reach of, 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 um, of, of the papacy. Um, basically Luther has decided that, you know, it's beyond the point of no return. It's on the 15th of June in, in 1520 that the Pope, who is Leo X, um, 
he issues um, a, a papal bull, which Protestants always find a very amusing yeah. phrase, but it, you know, it's an official papal announcement um, in which he warns Luther that you know, he is going to be excommunicated unless he retracts all kinds of um, heretical statements. Um, you know, excommunication is, is absolutely happening. Um, and this bull is called um, Exerge Domine, uh, Arise, O Lord. Yeah. Um, it gets issued in in the in the summer of 1520. Um, on de- the 10th of December, Luther has a copy of it, and he very very publicly, very symbolically, burns it. Yeah, doesn't he? he it's this great public spectacle, isn't it? Yes. That he put, puts it in the fire. A lot of shouting about Antichrist or something. <laughs> There's always a lot of shouting about <laughs> Antichrist. He he goes to one of the three city gates of Wittenberg, and there's it's a, a kind of carrion pit. It's where um, people burn uh, kind of old clothing. It's it's a place where you get rid of rubbish. Right. It's like basically a municipal tip. Basically, it's a municipal tip. Yes, exactly. And um, he's got he's gone he's gone rushing around all the libraries of, of Wittenberg, uh, trying to get out uh, books of canon law, which is the uh, you know the law that specifically applies um, to, to to the church. Uh, and he piles them up and he chucks them on the fire. And he chucks Exerge Domine, this papal bull that's threatening him with excommunication, on the fire as well. Wow. And yeah, there's a lot of you know he calls the Pope Antichrist, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's he he he's courting excommunication. He wants it. Um, and <laughs> you know, sure enough, that's what he gets, and that that's what he gets on this day. But uh, but Tom, um, I know this is a colossal topic. What's his motive? He thinks he's doing God's will, right? And what has converted him prior to fifteen seventeen? Oh, Dominic! To this, I mean, that, that's. Are you able to answer that in one sentence? I, I suppose the 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 kind of the bedrock of the Reformation, the, the 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 central challenge to the authority of the Catholic Church, is Luther's idea: you don't need the superstructure of the Church to provide you with salvation; that that is God's gift, yeah. and that. Therefore, it's your personal relationship with God. It's your personal relationship with the Spirit. It's your personal relationship with Scripture that should that, that should determine your behaviour as a Christian. And yeah. that all the, so this is why he burns the books of, of of canon law is that he comes to see the claims of the the Catholic Church to embody you know that there is no salvation except through um through the, through the Catholic Church underpinned by the papacy. Mm-hmm. And that's why he, he comes to see the Catholic Church as a kind of monstrous distortion of Christian teaching. And it's why he sees the figure of the Pope, so yeah. not the individual popes, but the, you know, the papacy as essentially antichrist. Um, and, you know, there is no question that by the standards of the Catholic Church, Luther entirely merits excommunication. Um, so I, there's, there's, there's kind of, you know, there's, there's absolute, you know, tens, 20, 30, 40, 50, you can just kind of, so you, separation of justification from sanctification, extrinsic, forensic, imputed justification, fiduciary faith, private judgment over against ecclesiastical infallibility, the rejection of the seven deuterocanonical books, the denial of venial sin, the denial of merit, sola scriptura. So only, you know, only, only scripture. Uh, yeah. Not the kind of the canons of the Catholic Church, radically private judgment. If we're all priests, why should we not also have the power to test and judge what is right or wrong in matters of faith? Denial that the Pope has the right to call counsel. Only justified men can do good works. I mean, these are so 
I won't go through them all. I'm sure yeah. listeners will be relieved to hear. But, <laughs> but essentially, what th- these are systematic attacks on everything that the Catholic Church has constructed, not just over the course of the Middle Ages, but in many cases over the period of late antiquity as well. And yeah. so, so this, is why, this is why it is so seismic. But And it's generated this, this profound schism that endures to this day. Uh, and, you know, it's one that, that Christians continue to dream of, of healing. Um, That's not going to happen so, though, is it? Well, so, so, so two years ago in 2020, um, there were, um, there was a group of, of theologians who belonged to something called the Altenburg Ecumenical Round Table, yeah. which had been founded back, uh, I think, 1999, something like that. Um, and <laughs> they, they knew that the, uh, the, the anniversary was coming up. Yeah. So, um, they, they said, uh, w- what about kind of quid pro quo? So that the, the Pope would essentially withdraw the excommunication and the Lutheran World Federation would kind of agree that the Pope wasn't the Antichrist. And wow, you know, wouldn't a- this be, wouldn't <laughs> this be a kind of, you know, a good quid that's pro a, quo. That's a big concession from the Lutherans, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I gather um, that that the Lutheran World Federation doesn't have the right to speak for Lutherans in this way. Oh, really? Of course, they're all Protestants, so that's all you know. Yeah, so no, you're all uh, using your own individual judgment. Yeah, right? use your own individual judgment exactly. So that's kind of the problem. But that that obviously hasn't happened. No, but, I mean, I think it, there is kind of talk talk about it. Um, well, we went to um, Germany on holiday in uh, 2016, so the year before the anniversary of the the nailing or the non-nailing of the theses in, in Wittenberg. And they were selling, and we bought, a Playmobil figure of uh, Martin yes, Luther. Yes, I, I think the, the best-selling Playmobil figure in Germany. Of I all, think. Really? I think so. Something extraordinary like that. So um, Playmobil is quite a big deal in Germany because it is German. So there was a Playmobil park yeah. outside Nuremberg, which we've been to. Yeah. And um, we bought Martin Luther and Albrecht Dürer. Who yeah, also I think is a Playmobil I th- figure. Well, I know that the Martin Luther um, Playmobil character sold incredibly well. He's um, a great figure. We used to use him in bat. We used to, I used to arrange battles with my son's Playmobil and Lego figures, in which kind of Martin Luther would be leading a huge army of Protestants with, with I- sort of Daleks in it and Star Wars stormtroopers. <laughs> did he have a pope the, against the armies of the Pope? Yeah, well, I'd, did get, like, the em- I'd get like the Emperor from Star Wars to be the Pope. Um, well, Dominic. <laughs> It was quite loaded. It was quite. It was quite. It's quite game. loaded. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah. okay. Well, it was a very a, patriotic game. I suppose <laughs> that's a very middle English thing to be doing. Yeah, exactly. I think. I think most of the listeners will think that completely reasonable, and probably they've got similar stories to tell them. I imagine. <laughs> and promptly, we lose all our Catholic listeners. <laughs> I apologise. Well, Dominic. we've got a great bit of Catholicism coming up. We, we do have a great. We've got a great Catholic, haven't we? We have great Catholic. A top writer. Catholic. A top Catholic. So uh, you wrote about in Unheard, and I deliberately did not mention his Catholicism at all. And was just I out of just out of propagandism? Um, <laughs> you were cross, yeah. You I were cross. Well, you were cross, but I think you were a little bit amused at the same time. <laughs> well, I think I, yes. So I think that um, Tolkien, born on this day, uh, yeah. is Dominic's yeah. choice, uh, and counterbalances the the Lutheran tone of the first half of this. So we should come to Tolkien. Let's come to Tolkien after the break. Hello, welcome back to our um, Protestant Catholic themed uh, <laughs> special today. We've had uh, Luther being excommunicated in the first half, uh, and in the second half, Dominic, it's J.R.R. Tolkien's yeah, birthday. 
J.R.R. Tolkien being born. So it's his birthday. It's the 3rd of January, 1892. Um, you know where uh, where Tolkien is born, Tom? I do. Glenfontaine. Yeah. Bloemfontein in the Orange Free State, as it then was. So he's the Tolkien family. For for a, a very English writer, he's got quite a sort of he's exotic. German, weren't they? Yeah, they're Germans. They're from um, apparently the they fool, originally fool of a toque. So the the kind of the the tolk toque. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So okay. do you know where they're from? They're from East Prussia. I did know that. Yeah. So they wouldn't be German now. They would be kind of living in a Russian enclave. <laughs> That's um, so, isn't it? so they come from near what's now Kaliningrad, but what was then Königsberg. Oh yeah, home of Kant. And it's sort of um so his earliest known ancestor is somebody called Michel Tolkien, born around sixteen twenty. And they were well, they moved to, to sort of to England in the early modern period at some point, and they made clocks and watches and pianos in London and Birmingham. Anyway, uh Arthur Tolkien, who is Tolkien's father, uh, he was born in 1857. He was a bank manager, rather. Sort of, <laughs> um, unexcitingly. Yes, the sword of fate. <laughs> the ring of doom. Yeah. So, the bank statement of destiny. Exactly. Well, you would, I mean, that's, that's what would fill your mind with all this well, stuff if you're. Yeah, it was kind of sending a bank state, you know, a checkbook to Galadriel or something. Um, so, so he's a bank manager and he is posted with his wife, Mabel, to. Which is, the, the, again, a very, I mean, it's yeah. not a. So they are posted to Bloemfontein uh, by the bank, and he goes off to, to work in the bank. And um, Tolkien is born in the th- on the 3rd of January, 1892. And his brother, do you know what his brother's name was? Uh, no. Hillary. Hillary? Hillary. What did his he bro- become? I don't know. Maybe he became a bank manager as well. He didn't write a sort of didn't- series of <clears throat> fantasy novels. So right. I think we can forget about poor old Hillary. Um, uh, he was born in 1894. And basically, when Tolkien Gerard was three, um, they basically decided to go back to England for a big visit. So his mum gets on the boat with him and his brother, and off they go. And his father has got some work to do, so he's going to follow them later. And he gets rheumatic fever. I don't actually know what that is. but it's, It sounds uh, bad. It's bad. Um, and he dies before he even gets on the boat to join them. So Tolkien so, never remembered his father. So never remembered his father. So they're in England visiting his mother's family and they basically have to stay forever. So they end up staying in um, Birmingham and they stay in a place. Well, initially they live with her parents. Then in 1896, when Tolkien is four, they moved to this village of Serhole. And um, then it was a, it was a village in North Worcestershire. Now it's basically in suburban Birmingham. And you can visit the, I have visited the mill, which is the inspiration for the mill, there's a mill and there's a bog, and they're the inspiration for some of the sort of the, the landscapes of the Lord of the Rings. So talking is it the Shire? Exactly, it is the Shire. And then I think and, talking and then about, and then um, when Birmingham kind of moves in, it's the harrowing of the Shire. Exactly, Birmingham swallows it up at exactly the moment when Tolkien is kind of a, a boy and then a teenager. The sort of tentacles of suburbia, Mordor, and the, sort of Edwardian, yeah, Edwardian developers yeah. are swallowing it all up. But um. But when Tolkien is 12, so he's lost his father in mm. South Africa. And then when he is 12, his mother dies. She's a diabetic. And in those days, diabetics with her particular kind of diabetes didn't generally live beyond their mid-30s. And she doesn't. So she dies. Uh, a priest, there's a Catholic priest who's very close to the family because, of course, they're Catholics. 
Mm-hmm. It's very close to the family. He arranges for the two talking boys to go and live with an aunt in the centre of Birmingham, basically. So if anyone's oh been yeah, in so from the, the centre of Birmingham, to the, the middle yeah, of absolutely. Mordor. They live very close <laughs> in Edgbaston, very close to what is now. If you've ever driven through Birmingham, this big roundabout called the Five Ways roundabout. But also it's a cricket ground, of course. Yeah. Well, I don't think Tolkien was a great cricketer. No, he was a rugby he man, actually. He was a rugby was player. Um, so they go and live there, and they look out, and he looks out of his window, and there's factories, and there's warehouses, and shops, and stuff. And you can absolutely see where the nostalgia comes from, where the sense of a sort of lost paradise, where the sort of horror at industry and urbanism mm. and modernity, all of that is woven into the story of this kind of boy. Well, because when I read Lord of the Rings as a, you know, when I was young, I, all of, none of this, I missed it all. But now course, you read you it would. and you completely see that it's one of the great novels. You know, it's one of the great anti-urban novels. Yeah. It's one of the, it's, 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 it's a, it's a very green novel. It is. Um, and that, that's um, a theme that I think people never, never noticed until probably the 70s. It's one of the great portrayals of the impacts of industrialization. It is. Absolutely. It uh, is. Absolutely, it is, and, and it's, it's not Mordor is industrial, isn't it? And then, of course, the scouring of the Shire scene at the end of the. But Saruman is the, is the is the key figure. He is, yeah, because he's fascinated by it. he's ingenious, isn't he? He's he's always Engines creating, mach- and yeah, machines, fire and, and machines. And, absolutely, um, and I know there are some people eugenics and all there were some of- people listening to this who who hate Tolkien and hate the Lord of the Rings and hate the fantasy genre, and that I think is completely fair enough. I think you, there's no reason why you should like it, but even if you don't like it. It does still matter because it is a brilliant mirror to the concerns of the 20th century. And the fact that so many millions of people did like it tells you something that, about its power. But also, I would say, yeah, a, a mirror held up to the concerns of Catholics and Christians more generally in right. the 20th century. And Tell us a time. Go on. I'll, leave, okay, I'll give well, you a little bit so of leeway. All, a little so bit. all I would say. So okay. I wrote about Tolkien in yeah. the, by the way, yeah. just so the listeners know, as he's saying all, I would say he's kind of gearing up and I get the sense of this colossal wedge <laughs> no, of paper no, behind him that he's going to start reading. No, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not. But the justification that I had, so I, I included him in a chapter that was basically about the First World War, the rise of fascism and the Second yes, World War. Yes, I remember it. Very good. And I thought, can, you know, is, is Lord of the Rings sufficient to bear the weight that it's, it, you know, I'm going to impose on its shoulders? I, th- I think it is for kind of complex reasons to do with, um, Tolkien's attitude to, uh, to, to the Jews, to, um, to the Nazis, to the fire bombings that the RAF carried out in, um, uh, in Germany. Um, actually, you know, Tolkien said, I, I, Lord of the Rings is not an allegory. And so people have always been slightly nervous about weaving it in to, um, the events of the 20th century, but he'd fought in the, in the trenches at the Somme. Of course. Um, his, his, his son flew planes over occupied Germany. So he was very, very intimately involved in that. And I would argue that actually Lord of the Rings far more than um, uh, 1984 actually is the great novel written about the horrors of the 20th century. And the reason that I say that is that even more than 1984, it's a colossal popular success. It's the best-selling novel of the 20th century. And I would argue that one of the, I think a key reason for its popularity is that it gives a people, uh, you know, people who are suspicion of Christian orthodoxy, suspicious of Christian scripture, suspicious of Christian belief, a chance to experience what it is about Christianity that has made it so successful and so appealing um, and so powerful. Because in a sense, Lord of the Rings is the last great popular Christian work 
because so of the distrust of of power of strength because of the celebration yeah. of smallness and all of those yeah. kinds of things all, all and, also, kind of- and also tom there was this key moment so for people who do know lord of the rings if you if you if you hate the lord of the rings you probably switched off already let's be honest but if you if you know the lord of the rings you will know that at the end of the book um frodo does not destroy the ring he claims it for his own he's weak he is human and, and fallible and then there's this kind of moment that Tolkien himself basically says in his letters is the kind of intervention of divine grace because he is forgiven. He is, they have should be merciful to Gollum and they could have killed Gollum, but they didn't. They were merciful to Gollum. And of course, that's the moment that Gollum, he, he, he sort of leaps up and he bites Frodo's ring off and then he falls Spoiler in. Alert. Spoiler alert. Well, I mean, no one's going to be listening to it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. then he falls in. And it's and it's through it's through what is it fate? I mean, I think there's some line that well, Gandalf says well, maybe it was well, meant it, to happen. You know it, all it, this. So you know the date on which that happens. Oh, um, I do know. I've forgotten what it is. It's, it's got some significance. It does. It's, so it's the 25th of March. Yeah, which is traditionally the date of both the crucifixion and the incarnation. Oh, right. Very good. And so yeah. for talking about a profoundly significant date, and yeah. in general, the overt Christian allusions are are minimal. You know, there are no gods yes. at all in Lord of the Rings. But but at this point, he does bring it in. Uh, and I think it's, you know, it's it's incredibly significant. Anyway, we mustn't, I, I don't think that we should, um, we should talk much more about this because we're we saving have, up an episode on, we have on Tolkien. We've got lots to talk about. With episodes that. plural lined up on Tolkien <laughs> yeah, later again. on. Um, so so that that's... Will, uh, that will woo the Catholics back. Yeah, we've got the Catholics back. We've got the, still got the Protestants on side. Uh, tomorrow we're going to make a bid for the existentialists and the abolitionists, I think, aren't we? Um, yes, we, yes, yes, yes. So we're basically so, appealing to every part of the community. So an existentialist abolitionist themed uh, special tomorrow. We will see you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Hi, Rest is History fans. If you want more Tom Holland in your life, and frankly, why wouldn't you? I have some good news for you. I'm Emily Dean, and I'm thrilled to say that this week Tom is a guest on my podcast, Walking the Dog, where you get to hear well-known faces at their most relaxed, because I talk to them over a leisurely outdoor stroll with my dog Raymond. And you can join us this week for a very special two-part in-depth chat with Tom Holland. And yes, I'm afraid I did ask him this question. Tom, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? I think about it a huge amount. In fact, there are days where I barely stop thinking about it my brain is occupied by the romans it's like gall if you want to hear more of my chat with tom give walking the dog a listen this week and while you're there you can take your pick from episodes starring the likes of ricky gervais jack whitehall and jimmy carr what's that raymond yes the rest is history did do an episode all about the greatest dogs in history no you weren't in it most spoilt dog in history maybe